0: The other passion I have, my, my whole life, I started playing drums when I was 10, started playing out uh, in gigs when I was 14, and I've been playing drums my, pretty much my whole life. Uh, so that's, that's my other great love, is, is uh, playing the drums and, and playing music.
1: That was Rick Haefeli talking about his other big passion in life. We talk about entomology, blues, and the bug wand today. This is episode number 37 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show,
0: where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more.
1: How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show before I get into the intro, I want to remind you about a new live uh, fly tying webinar I have going on on YouTube. Head over to wetflyswing.com webinar, that's W-E-B-I-N-A-R, to sign up for the next live event, where I have a new special guest on each month to tie some flies. In today's episode, I interview Rick Haefley, the biggest name in entomology and fly fishing in the western U.S., Rick gives us some big tips, including the three most important things to look for in a river, the most important thing for dry flies, and a big tip on fishing pupa patterns with wet flies. He shares some tips to easily get started with entomology and why this is so important for trout fishing. Don't miss this as Rick takes us into the mayfly life cycle and the beauty of a spinner fall and the one fly you should always have in your fly box. So, without further ado, here's Rick Haefley from rickhaefley.com. How's it going, Rick?
0: Hey, Dave. It's going great. How are you doing?
1: Great. Great to have you on here. Uh, I got uh, some questions here for you focused on entomology and trout fishing. And, you know, every time I get started, I always jump into a little bit on the background, uh, you know, for the guests on fly fishing. And you have a background in entomology as well, which is you know, pretty interesting. And it seems like these days it's hard to find a, you know, an entomologist out there or somebody to to kind of follow. And it's going to be cool to jump into this. So you ready to to kind of get started with some of these questions?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to it. All right. Um,
1: Yeah, I just want to start off first. We have, you know, I've talked to a number of people now. I'm going into season two of the show focused on more trout fishing. And I've talked to people who I've never met before, um, you know, people that I've known quite a while and you, we actually have a connection going way back to like my dad's fly shop where <laughs> you were right. doing classes. And I know you've done classes for lots of people over the years, but yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about like how that all started and then just jump into, you know, maybe bring it in just about how you got into fly fishing and entomology and that whole thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's a little scary to think it goes back as far as it goes back, but, uh, <laughs> time, time marches on. Uh gosh, well the the fly fishing that I I uh picked up when I was quite young like about 12 years old. Uh but that was back in Illinois where I grew up and uh had an uncle who was uh into fly fishing my my family wasn't or nobody in my family was but anyway, he got me started and it, it stuck. So I I when I moved out west from Illinois to go to college, I started off in Bellingham and so I was into fly fishing then and had a a strong interest in in insects and fish so I was kind of majoring more in fisheries but uh, my senior year in Bellingham at Western Washington uh, the guy who was the head of the biology department had his PhD in stoneflies from Oregon State Hmm. and he uh, he taught an aquatic ent class uh, my senior year and I was the only guy that signed up for it Hmm. and uh, he went ahead and taught it so he and I would get together and once a week in his office or a couple of times a week in his office and it was just a great he's a super nice guy and um he really kind of uh was somebody who first made me think about actually going to grad school in aquatic entomology so after i finished there i did go to grad school in corvallis uh oregon state uh got my master's in aquatic entomology there but while i was there uh oregon state had a cool program then called the free university or the free u and anybody who wanted to teach something could uh, set it up through this process they had called the Free You, and they'd find you a room, hmm. and they'd advertise the class. And it was free. You didn't get paid anything. Nobody had to pay to take it. But I thought, you know, what the hell, I'll, hmm. uh, I'll throw something out there for fly fishermen on insects. And lo and behold, you know, like half a dozen people signed up for it. So that was the first uh, kind of going out to talk to the fly fishing community about aquatic insects mm-hmm. was through the Free U in, in Corvallis. Uh, and that's also when I met Dave Hughes uh, in Aquatic ant. I was the TA for Aquatic ant and he uh, signed up for that just to learn about bugs. And he and I started fly fishing together. And, and then uh, we thought, well, hell, let's just uh, teach this uh, aquatic ant class together which we started doing and more people started coming. And then that led to the book, complete book of Western hatches mm-hmm. uh, that we wrote back in 1981. So that was kind of, you know, I always had the the interest in the fly fishing and the bugs kind of came in too. So, uh, and then, and then of course I got lucky enough to actually get a job kind of looking at aquatic insects. So my work career kind of focused on water quality issues and using aquatic insects as indicators of, Water quality problems, which is kind of what I've been doing for the last thirty plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been great. Huh. Uh, still, still really love the bug stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool with uh, hearing the background there and all the way back and Dave Hughes and because I think what wasn't it your uh, the, your PhD your professor what was his name?
0: Well, Norm Anderson, yeah, uh, in Corvallis, yeah, Oregon State. And he actually, unfortunately, he passed away this year, just Mm. about four or five months ago, he passed away, but he was in his late eighties, kind of going through some health issues. But yeah, Norm Anderson was a great, great fellow. Uh, Yeah. Enjoyed working with him a lot.
1: What did you, I mean, if you had to take away a thing or a few things from Norm, what did you learn from him in that whole process knowing him?
0: Well, you know, uh, he was a real uh, naturalist, uh, someone that spent time out in the field. And I guess what kind of stuck with me and what kind of been true, fortunately, in my career is that uh, you, you need to get out on rivers and actually look at them firsthand to understand rivers, to understand the insects. Uh, you know, anymore, there's so much modeling that's done on computers. You get these big data sets and you sit there at the computer and you crank away on all this data. And a lot of those people never get out in the field. And actually look at the real thing and what's going on.
1: Right.
0: And unfortunately, that kind of just being a real naturalist who goes out and spends time in nature in the field is becoming more of a rare opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really critical if you're going to, you know, really understand biology that you spend time in the field with what you're actually trying to t- trying to learn about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Getting that experience. That's, it is pretty interesting talking about, you know, your, your mentors and things like that, because I think of other, when I think of entomologists out there, I mean, obviously your name comes to, to a lot of people's minds, especially in the West, but I mean, are there other entomologists? I mean, it seems like it's such a, a small niche that there's not too many others out there. Is is that the case or are they're they just not? Uh, in?
0: Well, the, yeah, no, there's, you know, if you, <laughs> when you kind of get connected to the community, there's actually a pretty large community, oh, okay. but not that many that maybe also are fly fishermen.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: so I think that that kind of is a little more limited niche that I've filled. Gotcha. Uh, and I belong to a, a professional organization called Society for Freshwater Science. And that group, it used to be called North American Benthological Society, mm-hmm. but they changed their name. But at any rate, they uh, when they get together at their annual meeting, there's about 700 people oh, there and And it's all over the world, and they're mostly uh aquatic entomologists uh and aquatic algologists, plant people and bug people <laughs> and fish people. Mm-hmm. but uh, I would say a large number a majority of them are really into the insects and so there is there is that professional you know group out there that's active in studying. Uh, the aquatic uh, world, but maybe not that many of them that are also fly fishermen.
1: Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. We'll jump into more on, uh, you know, Dave Hughes and some of the other people, you know, and you've co-authored with and and all your, you know, the work you've done over the years. Um, But yeah, maybe I I just want to jump in a little bit more on, you know, for those that aren't familiar with entomology and kind of the basics and maybe, you know, somebody that's new to it, how it can help them. Can you talk about just like You know how entomology can help you catch more fish, and like what somebody that's new to it, how they could get started.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you know, one of the the fascinating things I think about fly fishing (laughs) in general is that there's so many aspects to it that you can really spend a lifetime learning about, and and never really gets gets boring. And and understanding what trout eat certainly is part of that, and it's interesting because you know, people probably too, that would say, well, I've got my five favorite flies or three favorite flies. Yeah. And that's, that's what I fish with. And, and, and by golly, you know, they're going to catch fish. Uh, maybe not all the time, but they're going to catch fish. So, you know, that's, a, that's the simple and kind of real basic idea about it. But, uh, when it comes to, especially trout fishing, um, there's so many, uh, connections uh with what's out there that fish are eating that changes throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year. And if you really are aware of those changes and, and understand them, uh you can really become much more consistent at at what your what your success is going to be and and understanding the aquatic insects is the key to that, you know. So uh and it doesn't mean you have to know the Latin names. Right. Uh, But it does it does mean that you want to spend some time and looking and just just having that observation uh, of what's going on around you in terms of insect activity, fish feeding activity. And it just opens up a whole whole window uh, to your fly fishing for trout that's otherwise kind of closed. Um, and, And the other thing it does is really helps you understand why there's so many different fly patterns. And and what those different styles of fly patterns would make sense to use them, when it makes sense to use them. Because beginners, when they walk into a fly shop, they're just overwhelmed by the yeah. bins of fly patterns. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, and so if you have some basic understanding of insects, uh, it really makes sense out of why those patterns look the way they look and when you'd use them. Okay. And yeah. and if you're so maybe take us to you know that
1: river for you you know if you come to a river maybe a, a new river I mean how do you set up and you know use your, yeah. your knowledge and how maybe somebody else how could somebody else use the yeah. technology knowledge
0: Well you know I I've fished all over the the place and when I get to a stream um I'm always kind of just first of all just seeing you know what's happening are there swallows flying around over the river is there any, you know, anything like that happening that makes you think there's some bugs in the air? And then I usually would shake some of the branches of willows and alder along the river, see if anything flies out, and and just kind of look at the water, see if there's any, you know, of course, any fish rising. Um, but uh, a lot of times there's there's really not much going on, and so you get there and you go, oh, okay, there's a nice looking river, it's quiet, there's no bugs in the air, there's not any bugs apparently uh, flying. So in that case, I'll usually get some fly patterns out and start fishing, but after a short time, I'll I'll usually set that aside and then just start picking up some rocks. I always travel with a little bug net mm-hmm. some sort. So then I'll I'll actually spend 35 40 minutes just picking up rocks, kicking around and and seeing what's out there. And it really makes a huge difference in understanding Uh, what fly patterns to use, and what the fish might be eating. Uh, And and there's three things I always look for when I'm either just picking up rocks or picking bugs off and putting them in a little tray is really helpful. Uh, But you want to just kind of get a sense of what critter looks to be the most numerous, you know, whether it's a mayfly, if it is, you know, is it a fat one or a skinny one? Uh, Are they stoneflies or caddis? And just whatever it is, what is it that seems to be the most numerous bug? But then also you can take it a step further and see if there's any that have really uh, dark wing pads that would indicate they're mature nymphs because they're the ones that are likely to start emerging mm-hmm. that day or later in the afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, which will tell you a lot. And And then if there are any that are really active, like some of them are really good swimmers, some aren't, So if you see a bug that's kind of numerous and got dark wing pads and it's really swimming around as an active type of nymph, boy, that's one that you would certainly want to be imitating if you don't see any other uh, hatch activity going on. So it it really just gives you uh, a very clear picture of why you might choose a certain fly pattern.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a great tip on the the wing pattern uh, coloration. Yeah. So yeah. okay. Yeah, and there's obviously we can take go as deep as we want as far as you know when you know you have a hatch going on and and matching the hatch and things like that. Is there you know if you get into more of the dries? What do you ha- do? You take out your bug net and try to catch the adults, or if if there are bugs coming off and
0: yeah 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 absolutely. It's it's great to catch them. Um, obviously, you're always people are always curious about the color. And it, it's good to know what it is, you know, mayfly, caddisfly, stonefly. And usually you can detect that just by watching them in the air. But, but catch them uh, if you can. Uh, the thing that's really critical, if the fish are being selective, right, you get a good hatch and the fish are rising and, and you're throwing something out there and they're kind of, they're ignoring it. So they're pretty selective fish. Uh, you really want to understand the size okay. of, that, of that critter that's on the water. Size is really important, and it's so easy uh, for us to put on a fly pattern that's bigger than the natural. Um, These guys look bigger than they really are when they're flying in the air. And so if you don't collect them and you just see them flying, you'll say, oh, man, that's about a size 12. And then you pick it up and you look at it and you go, holy macro! that's like a 14 or a 16. Mm. And, and and, And it'll make a huge difference if you're using a fly that's too big uh, You'll get a lot of refusals, uh, uh, as opposed to one that's matching the right size. And if you make an error, it's better to use something too small than something that's too big.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, or s-
0: smaller than the natural. Yeah,
1: right, right. Yeah, I think I heard you on another show, and you mentioned that about more about the nymphs, but you know the size of the nymphs and the fact that you should. I think you said something like you should have, you know, 16s and smaller. If you don't have a bunch of those in your box, then you should probably rethink, you know, your selection. Is that pretty much yeah. I
0: I fish, you know, 16s and smallers 80% of the time, you know, when I'm out nymphing. And of course, big, big nymphs catch fish, but there are so many instances where those small nymphs out fish a bigger one. Yeah. And, and as you get on more heavily fished waters. That's even more true, okay. uh I think as the fish get more uh, get smarter mm-hmm. uh I think they get locked into really paying attention to what the naturals are like, and they get more selective, and that means most of the critters out there are small, okay, yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's good i Oh, I was talking this week to a couple of guys that do a lot of online videos, and I kind of stay connected to that with the fly tying. And, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. I mean, there's all sorts of hot spots and pink this and that and colors that aren't really out there naturally as much. And and there's right. UV, uh, you know, and all this stuff going on in the fly tying world. Do you see... I mean, are you more kind of traditional style or do you see a benefit to using some of that stuff? And why do you think those flies work? And I even hear people talking about like, you don't throw legs on your flies because it doesn't really matter with the nymphs, you know, just tie this. Do you, do you have any, um, you know, a comment there on some of that stuff?
0: I, I'm probably a, a bad person to ask that question yeah. to because I, I have stayed pretty traditional in, in my fly tying materials. I mean, I've certainly used, I like, uh, Antron and, yeah. and some, you know, flash on there. Uh, I have not experimented with UV material. I know that's becoming a real uh, hot topic. Yeah. And especially in nymphs now. Uh the, the folks out there doing European nymphing, yeah, for right. example, are like all about, you know, putting a little UV material on their nymphs. Mm-hmm. And I I really haven't experimented with that much. So I, I don't have first hand experience with that. Mm-hmm. Um you know I think a lot of it is someone's confidence, and if you have confidence in what you're fishing, uh, that often makes a big difference. And so, these people, you know, put this on and they really believe in it, uh, and they catch fish with it. Yeah. It tends to become a self, you know, right. uh, uh, confirming prophecy there. Yeah. But but on the other hand, uh, I wouldn't rule out that that doesn't make a difference either. So, uh, what I tell people is try try stuff and if it works you know go for it yeah uh, um i just don't have any real personal experience right now at least with the uv sure. materials out there it's something i have uh got on my list i do need to look into it more
1: yeah it was interesting i was uh actually listening to kelly Gallup. uh he's you know uh got some good stuff on streamers and other, you know, he's going to be on the show yeah. I think later in a couple of months here, but I was listening yeah. to him talking about beads, you know, and I, I always think about beads, like, you know, it's uh, beads, you know, they're standard throwing a bead or whatever, but he was really talking about how he doesn't fish beads at all. You know, he doesn't use any beads and it's like, well, in the natural world, flies don't really shine or, or glossy and stuff like that. So he made this point that I really hadn't heard, but you know, and he was kind of going against the, the, that newer stuff, right. The fact that you should have a natural looking bug that you know it looks natural in the water, so I don't know i think I think you're right I think it with steelhead fishing and stuff like that's the same thing. It's like get a fly that you're confident in and if, if you're fishing it correctly and it's the right size right that's in the color I mean that's probably the most important thing regardless of the other stuff
0: well it's still true today that you know uh ten uh ninety percent of the fish are caught by ten percent of the fishermen oh yeah yeah and, and and why is that well, it's not the flies they're using I mean part of it is. But you give the guy the fly you're not catching fish with. You trade rods, you know, that old uh, little thing yep. that happens at times. Oh, yep. man, I've been catching fish. Here, use my, my rod. Right. You know, they feel sorry for you. And you, and you don't catch fish, and yep. they take your rod, and they start catching fish. <coughs> and, and you go, damn, you know, what's going on? Um, well, what's going on is they're, they know how to present yep. the fly. Exactly. Uh, they know how to get a good drift. They know where to put the fly in the mm-hmm. water. Uh, presentation is, is critical. Uh, and and that's that's another aspect of fly fishing that you can spend a lifetime you know fine tuning your skill at, yeah. Uh, which, which is great, um, but yeah. Um, what one thing about nymphs uh, and underwater like wet flies? I do fish a lot of wet flies. I like fishing flimps and, oh, and yeah. emergers a lot, um, but those those stages underwater naturally will often have this little sparkly appearance from gas bubbles oh, right. that they release under their exoskeleton as they're emerging. And, and those little gas bubbles are quite, uh, quite bright mm. and sparkle underwater. And so I like Antron, and I love to use uh, the desiccant powder that I'll dust my th- wet flies with. And, and then you even sometimes have to use a little split shot to get them to sink. But if you get them underwater uh, with that uh, little dusk and powder on them, they trap all that little bubbles of air and they just sparkle underwater a lot. And and I really think that uh, is a natural look and it's very attractive to fish.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh, and and what about, so what is your take on, on beads? Do you do you fish beads or do you think that's something? I do. Yeah. I
0: do fish beads. Um, and what I like about them is they just get your flies deeper a little yeah. faster and i think for straight nymphing that's really important to get your flies down close to the bottom most yep. of the time is yep. where you want them yeah so i i like yeah. beads for that um and you know i've i've been places where fish are real picky you know you go down to hot creek or something and and california and and the guides there will say well don't use a, a silver bead or a gold mm. bead it's a black one yeah because the others are too bright and it spooks the fish off Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there you go.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's lots of different colors and things like that. Um, yeah, I wanted to get into a few tips and things like that, uh, just on fishing and some of the stuff we're talking about. But before I do, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the bug one. I uh, <laughs> I, I had uh, I had John from the Deschutes Canyon Fly Shop on, and uh, uh, let's see. I guess it was. Uh, let's see, he's going to be coming up soon. But yeah, we talked just briefly about it. But maybe you could talk for those that don't know. I think it's pretty funny the whole. Oh, uh, man. The, where it came from. Maybe you can talk about what what it's all about. And, and are you still, do you still, does uh, that person still come out occasionally?
0: Oh, the Bhagwan hasn't been out for a while, though he still resides here. Uh, the Bhagwan, uh, of course, if you've lived in Oregon and know about the Bhagwan, uh, <laughs> uh, out at Antelope uh, and the, the Rajneeshis. Uh, so that was the Bhagwan. Uh, so when we started, when John Smarlin and I started doing these uh, instructional videos, back gosh over 12 14 years ago now uh just this crazy idea came up that hey man we should have the bugwan be the guy that pops up every once in a while in these videos that provides sort of the the uh zen moment or the insight to uh answer the fly fishing questions of the <laughs> moment and so yeah i went out and i bought the crazy turban and uh and a beard and all this and put it on so <laughs> Uh, yes, that's the bug one. <laughs> nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, uh, it was a blast to do those. It was yeah. a heck of a lot of fun. And, and it's funny how many people I'll meet. I, I met this one guy, uh, California in one of my talks down there and he said, Oh, my wife isn't a fly fisherman, but every time I put your video on, she comes in to watch the bug one. Mm. So, um, that's awesome. yeah, it's, it's fun to, uh, hear that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: So for people that and, and this um the uh the information here, I'll have this at uh, wetflyswing.com slash thirty seven. I'll have all the show notes from stuff we're talking about here and links to your books and things like that. Um but yeah, that that is is there a place that people can find uh you know and take a look at that? Is there a YouTube video or anything like
0: that? Uh <laughs> really bad. Actually, uh I'm I'm about a few weeks away from getting all our DVDs up on Vimeo. Oh nice. And people will be able to stream them or download them from Vimeo. Oh, perfect. Uh, we're just getting that set up. And um, so uh, all I can say is, so the DVDs, though, there's like six of them. Yeah. One's uh, Fly Fishing Large Western Rivers. Uh, and then there's uh, Basic Nymph Fishing, Advanced Nymph Fishing, uh, Fishing Emergers and Dries. And so there's like six titles that we've okay. got. And they'll all be up on Vimeo. So. I guess uh, folks uh, can wait a couple of weeks and uh, and then check it out. I don't know exactly the link uh, for Vimeo yeah, at this time. We'll, we'll get but, it. Yeah, I'll get yeah. It to you.
1: And actually, this show, I mean, people could be listening to this show, you know, five years later. So we'll have definitely the link will be in the show right. notes, so, like I mentioned, at, uh, at number 37. So, yeah, that's good. That'll be fun to check those out and uh, take a look at that stuff. I was kind of thinking to bring it back to a little bit on entomology if somebody wanted to grab a few, you know, you mentioned the nets and things like that. Are there a few products that people might be able to grab out there, you know, somewhere to to kind of yeah. do some basic entomology? And where, where would they get those? Where would be a good place to find that stuff?
0: Well, actually on my webpage, my, my homepage has uh, the link to the the vials if you want to actually keep some insects okay. that I find are the best vials to use for storage. And if you do collect insects uh, to take home, and that makes, you know, a good opportunity as fly pattern uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that you can look at when you're tying. But uh, you want to preserve the insects in uh, 90% ethanol uh, is is ideal. You can get denatured ethanol at hardware stores in the paint department usually. Um, But uh, rubbing alcohol, which is isopropyl, isn't so good. Because it makes the bugs really brittle, hmm. but just just grab some uh, roughly ninety percent ethanol, and the vials on uh, link to it work really great. Uh, I also have the link to the bug net that I like to use. Um, okay. But you know, if it's it's you know a full size net, so a lot of people don't want to carry that around. Uh, you can, uh, I would say, just get the biggest aquarium net you can find and stick that in your vest. Uh, and that can work, uh, better than not having anything along. Um, the only other stuff you need really when you're out in the field is a pair of tweezers and then always helpful to have a little white dish, uh, like a larger Mason jar lid or something that's like a three quarters of an inch deep or something like that. Put a little water in that. And then when you're plucking bugs off a rock, uh, or doing a little sampling with your net, you can drop the insects in there and then you can really see them and you can drop your fly patterns in next to them and really, you know, see if your flies are too big and what the color is. It's just very helpful. Yeah. So all you need is the tweezers, a little dish and, uh, some sort of net. Um, but if they can check that out on my homepage on my website.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I'll, I'll get a link to that. Um, so maybe we can get into a little more on some of the the tips and thinking about, you know, I if you had to say your home river, I know you fish the Deschutes, that's nearby. Is, are there any other rivers that you kind of consider, you know, a, a river, you know, maybe home waters and something you fish quite a bit?
0: Yeah, probably the, the McKenzie oh, and okay. the Upper Willamette. Uh, you know, kind of the valley streams. The ones right around Portland uh, aren't so much a trout fishery, they're more stamina and steel fisheries. So uh, not so much for trout, but yeah, I would say like the the Mackenzie, the Willamette, the Deschutes, they're the ones I end up fishing the most.
1: okay. And what and how do you, I mean, how do you catch fish over there? If you were to explain to somebody you know how you get into fish, you know you you've used all your your background and your knowledge here. What's any any secrets or tips you can give people to
0: you, get you into know the, fish? Th- the Deschutes is is uh, can be such an intimidating river if you're not used to fishing it. Uh, the main thing on the Deschutes, Is for trout fishing now. Is don't think about making long casts. Fish close to the bank, and most of the time I'm not casting any more than twenty feet of fly line, and a lot of times it's ten feet of fly line, Um, and so you're really concentrating on the water near the bank, and I'm talking about water that's a foot off the bank to maybe four or five feet out. Um, Just really focus on that fishing close in, and and a lot of times, you know, check out you know, like a lot of caddis might be in the trees. You may not see fish rising. You can still put on a dry caddis and cast it along the shore under the under the trees. Um, it can be challenging to get a a good fly you know drift under a tree, but uh, that's where the fish are hanging out. Mm-hmm. And and the same with nymph fishing, man, fish close in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of great holding water on the Deschutes around boulders and stuff. That's just, you know, a foot to four or five feet off the bank. And that's, that's kind of the money, uh, spot to fish the fish on the Deschutes. Okay. Um, and, and it, it gets, it doesn't get pounded as hard because a lot of people just walk into it or, you know, they're looking out there 40, 50 feet out or a hundred feet out at the uh, other water. So, right. Uh, I, I would say just really do that, and then uh, try, you know, don't keep using the same thing if it's not working. You know, you, you go out there and you fish some of your favorite nymph patterns they are not working. Well, change it up, you know, put on different nymph patterns, do some bug collecting, see what's really dominant out there. Uh, try a wet fly in the riffles, swing some wet flies, soft tackles uh, that imitate some caddis pupa. Uh, if that's not working, you know try fishing a dry fly under the trees as a tractor pattern if nothing is going on so you know over the course of the day mix it up and always pay attention to what bugs are flying around yeah. and and try to match that okay uh, yeah
1: cool go ahead. and uh you mentioned uh western hatches and some videos and stuff i mean are there And I know I I talked to Skip Morris recently, and I I didn't even realize, I mean, you co-authored, I think, something with him. I mean, can you talk a little bit about what you've done as far as your your other books and maybe anything we haven't talked about yet?
0: Well, one one of the the main books I did with Stackpole was Nymph Fishing Rivers and Streams. Um, And so that came out, oh, it's getting about six years ago now. Um, But yeah, uh, Nymph Fishing Rivers and Streams is a full book that comes with a DVD in the back of it. Uh, so for nymph fishing, that um, that was a book that really kind of gets into the details, uh, and it talks a lot about the different insects and uh, how they behave underwater, and you know just approaches to nymph fishing that would work mm-hmm. for uh, the different groups of insects too, as well as the different methods of nymphing. Um, and then the latest books I did with both Dave and Skip, which Skip maybe talked about, yeah. was once called Tactics for Trout, and the other Seasons for Trout. Uh so those are the most recent books that I've done. Okay. Um I, I you know I didn't uh rely on uh writing books as my career. I worked uh, full-time as a biologist so yeah. um my book list isn't as long as skips or days. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> they, yeah. <laughs> they that, that's been their their way of putting food on the table.
1: Right, right which is amazing I mean to think that that you know you can you can do that you know with fly because fly fishing is definitely a small niche. I've I've been learning a lot more about it this last couple of years. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing it on the side, you know, they have, yeah. they have things, they yeah. have a real a normal, you know, a normal job. And so I, I, it's always interesting to hear people that are doing that because it, it seems like it is, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to run a business and, and it is. in a small
0: niche, it's not easy. It is. And, and it's changed so much in the last, you know, 15 years, the publishing uh, world has changed so much with the internet. Yeah. And you and you really have to almost figure out a different way of doing it now than than uh, 15 years ago, because you can't just rely on putting a book title out there and and that it's going to take off and a lot of people are going to buy it, even if it's a good book. You got to work social media and. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a real different world, and it it's not always easy to figure out for us old folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah it's yeah. changing. I've I've had this conversation with a number of guests just on how things are changing. But uh, yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about. You mentioned you know you've been around doing this a long time. Is there a a story you know from your life that you that kind of you think about that maybe influenced you know how you got to where you are today as kind of one of the leading you know people out there as far as entomology and fly
0: fishing. Um, dang, that's a good question.
1: Um, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, fly fishing related if there's just something that, you know, a big, I mean, I've known you, you know, through work and stuff like that over the years, but haven't really heard any of the, the, all the juicy details. Is there anything that really rings a bell, like maybe a, a turning point in your life, something like that?
0: Well, one, one of the moments I've, I've talked about it other times occasionally, but, uh, when I was a kid. Uh, back in Illinois, growing up, and I, you know, was into fishing. And I grew up in an area where it was pretty much farm ponds and and bass and bluegills. You know, that was kind of the thing. Um, but I was out just goofing off on one of these farm ponds, and uh, yeah, I was even fly fishing for bass and stuff out there. But right at dark, uh, there was a hatch of of hexagenia, the big burrowing mm-hmm. mayfly. Mm-hmm. And and it was something I'd never experienced before. But this particular night, it was just phenomenal. It, it was like the whole surface of the lake just <laughs> all of a sudden had bugs on it and these great big giant mayflies. And it it was really, really astounding. And I just sat there, I was going, Holy mackerel, <laughs> you know, what what's going on here? It was kind of otherworldly. Um and and that that whole experience stuck with me Hmm. uh and it was like i you know just really piqued my curiosity as a young kid yeah and and stuck with me and just kept me um kind of probably moving in that direction as i got older
1: was that before you even had picked up a fly rod
0: no no i was fly fishing okay yeah And, and it was like, you know, I, I didn't catch a thing because every fish in the lake was kind of popping at these big mayflies. I had no idea what was going on yeah and I didn't have anybody around that knew anything about this, you know? And I was just like, man, I got to figure this out. (laughs) Um, and it was, it was pretty amazing. It was just one of those crazy moments that you just go, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I I've, I've actually, I've never seen anything quite that dramatic. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome.
1: I, it kind of rings a bell for me thinking back to a, um, amazing caddis hatch on the crooked river back when I was a little kid. And it was the same sort of thing, just like these swarms of caddis and you're in the middle of it and the fish are going nuts. And yeah, you no, know, I think it's that, it's kind of that, I don't know, whatever it is, the visceral thing, or, or, you know, just connecting you with nature and which is why I think, you know, fly fishing or any outdoor thing is so, amazing and important to get your kids into as well. But,
0: um, well, and I think it's at that age too, you know, when you're, I don't know, 12, 14, whatever younger kid, uh, you're just a sponge for that stuff. And, and your curiosity is just kind of there to, you know, go in any direction. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think that's a cool age to get exposed to that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, it is.
1: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, a, a big moment there, you know, looking back at your life, uh, you know, thinking back to your, maybe your 25 year old self, is there anything, you know, looking back now you, you would tell yourself your, your 25 year old self, as far as maybe how to do things maybe a little differently or any advice?
0: Uh, yeah, I have to, I have to call my psychiatrist. And <laughs> him <about> this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I was when I went to grad school uh, in aquatic ant uh, at Oregon State. I, I was really lucky because I didn't even ask. It was kind of when I look back, I was really naive. I didn't ask. You know, can you get a job as right. an aquatic entomologist? <laughs> I, <laughs> yep. And I and I was married. And when I finished uh, uh, my my thesis and was getting done, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant. Oh wow! And and so I, I was something that a job was pretty important. And, and the last week before I was completely done, uh, someone called my, called Norm Anderson, my major professor and said, Hey, we're looking for an aquatic entomologist for his work we're doing up in Alaska. Hmm. And, and he said, yeah, call this guy. He's just finishing up. So, you know, I got extremely lucky. Wow. I got a great job right out of school. Didn't even have to send out a resume. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I just felt like I was extremely fortunate uh, in that regard. So I, I don't think there is a, mm-hmm. it, so it, really, it, worked it worked out pretty out, well. It did. It worked out great, even though I can't say I planned it that way.
1: Right. Right. Um, and the whole fly fishing, you know, uh,
0: the Dave and just yeah. kind of connecting with him who is really into writing and he and I have been great friends, you know, for the last 40 years. So, um, 40 plus years now. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just been very fortunate. Um, that I found work that I really liked and Mm -hmm. the fly fishing community is such a great community. And, uh, it, it connects the dots that I really love about fishing with uh, the insects. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what keeps me really enthusiastic about fly fishing to be perfectly honest is the connection with the insects and, and the whole, you know, uh, trout fishing and figuring out that. Uh, so, Mm uh, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a heck of a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, it's good. And just thinking, you know, uh, you know, more on the, on the flies here, I always like to ask a couple of questions as far as, you know, I know it's probably hard to say your top two or three patterns, but if you had to pick, you know, maybe the ones you use uh, quite often, is that something you could,
0: yeah you could do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's two nymph patterns that, that I use a lot. Uh, one is what I, I call is my green rock worm uh it's caddis larva pattern uh usually fishing about a size 14 sometimes a 16 and it's a great imitation for the actual green rockworm caddis larva uh the rycofla mm-hmm. but it also is a very good imitation for the hydropsychid uh net spinning caddis larva which are those two are some of the most dominant caddis larvae in our trout streams in the west okay uh and they're almost always around yeah there's lots of species uh, so there's usually some species that's out there in the larval stage. And uh, so fishing that is a nymph pattern. And then the other one that you just can't live without is a little betis, uh nymph pattern. Uh, and I just tie one that's, you know, uh, very simple, a little crystal flash for the body and usually a, a dark olive mm. or a gray and, and just a little dubbing. And that's tied on an 18 and a 20. Oh, wow. And so no bead head on that. There's yeah. no room on the hook. Uh, it's very slender. <laughs> Keep it very slender because the nymphs are little swimmers. And that that would be probably the most important. To me, what I tell people in my workshops, if you're going to carry a series of fly patterns, you have to have blue-winged olive fly patterns for the, the betas. Mm-hmm. Um, the nymph pattern, emerger pattern, dry for both duns and spinners. And they're all pretty much eighteens and twenties hmm. uh in all those styles. And I mean you just gotta have those in your vest. It doesn't matter if you're fishing in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, yeah. Wyoming, Oregon, um, uh, Arizona, you're gonna run into a lot of blue and gollies. Um they're just in every trout stream I've ever fished anywhere hmm. in North America. Okay. So uh you just gotta carry those patterns. Uh and and don't be afraid to put on a size 18 or 20 nymph in a big river like the Deschutes. Right. They'll absolutely <laughs> catch big fish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Nice. Nice. Fish. And uh, do, are those patterns, do you have either a name or is there a place where we can take a look at some of those patterns online anywhere?
0: Uh, I do have some on my on my website. I've got a blog. Uh, if they go to the blog link on my website, okay. there's there on on the patterns and some of the, the discussion on that. These aren't current blogs. I haven't put, a, put sure. up a new blog in a while, but they're still up on the website.
1: Yep. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll check those out and maybe I I do a little bit of tying on, on YouTube as well. And uh, if I get a chance, maybe I'll, I'll try to tie up a couple of those patterns and throw something out there so people can take a look at it.
0: Yeah. The green rockworm pattern has been written up in our books. That would be the other thing, like in, in the books that Dave and Skip and I did tactics for trout. Almost all the patterns uh, in their seasons for trout, either one of those gotcha. has the patterns in those books. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect.
1: Yeah, I'll do my best. Like I mentioned, with all the you got a lot of stuff out there as far as books and things like that. But I'll I'll provide in the show notes as many links as I can. And yeah. you mentioned the East versus West Coast. I had a question. You know, I was actually just uh, talking to uh, Tim Kamisa, who has a, a YouTube channel at, at Trout and Feather, and he's an East Coast guy. And we we've been uh, working on stuff together. Is there you know the East versus West Coast as far as bugs and entomology and trout fishing? Are there some big differences there?
0: There are. Yeah, there's some very big differences. Mm-hmm. Uh a couple of things and I'm not real experienced fishing the east coast. I grew up in the Midwest, but you know all my fishing has been primarily west. Yeah. Uh I, I did spend some time out there last year uh fishing and it was in New York in the in the Adirondacks and Catskills and it was really interesting. One and a couple of things I learned. First of all, the bugs are bigger. Uh mm. I was there during the March brown hatch which there is Macafertium uh vicarium, which is a different species than we have here, uh, even though it's in the same family. And that sucker was a size 10. Wow! I, I'm looking at this <laughs> bug on the water. I'm going, that's as big as our green drakes. <laughs> and and all of the, the hatches I saw were considerably bigger than what we'd be notable, usually. usually fishing out west. So the fly patterns are bigger. The bugs are bigger that I was experiencing. And the other thing is their season ends right about now because it waters get too warm, oh wow, uh in a lot of places, unless you're up in Maine and some right. of the you know New Hampshire, some of the more really northeastern part, but a lot of the famous streams in Pennsylvania and New York, the fly fishing ends right now <laughs> because the streams get too warm, the hatches really drop off, and I'm sure there's some places people fish you know late evenings and stuff but Uh, it's stressful for the fish to catch them. Right. Uh, and so then you wait until fall, you know, when things cool off again, but it's a really different, uh, May, April and May is just kind of like peak seasons back there to fish. A lot of it goes on then, and then it really tapers off late June, um, until it cools off in the fall. Okay. Um, but, uh, some really neat, neat bugs and a totally different variety Hmm. of of species.
1: Would you, as far as entomology or techniques to, you'd probably do the same thing if you went to a new river over there? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just start collecting, kicking around. Uh, Yeah, I was fishing and nothing going on and I was just like picking up some rocks and I saw some, you know, uh, mature, you know, caddis pupa I put on a wet fly and, caught some fish you know? yeah um so it, it it there's no difference in kind of one's method or of approach but you're going to see different things yeah. for sure yeah yeah, yeah. that's interesting. good uh you mentioned it, oh yeah go ahead well and i i say the same thing where i've fished in chile quite a few times hmm. uh a little bit in argentina and the same thing you go to a different country uh and you know you're going to po- possibly hook up with guides and they're going to have their favorite fly patterns they know that work but it, it's still you know just put your rod down spend a little time picking up some rocks and seeing what's there mm-hmm. and you're going to have some great uh clues as to what the fish are eating uh so trout or trout no matter where they live
1: yeah yeah for sure uh you mentioned uh, wet flies a couple of times and i've i talked to uh, davy watton on a past episode and he's got you know the wet fly I mean, name of my blog you know wet fly swing you know it's kind of a a play yeah. a play on that and really that's about you know steelhead and trout but just traditional kind of sorts of things but you know he talked about a whole different thing you know uh, a cast of flies and and wet fly fishing um can you talk a little bit about i mean we could talk about, you know, we can go deep into all sorts of things here, but I'm just curious. You, you mentioned you fish wet flies, and I know a lot of people fish either dries or nymphs, and they don't hit the wet flies. Is there a, a tip or anything you would say about picking wet flies or fishing them?
0: Well, um, you know, uh, I one one thing is a, a traditional, now what, what Davey's doing yeah, uh, different. with the cast is, is, is useful because his flies are probably sinking a little deeper. A lot of people, when they fish wet flies, it's just right in the surface film. Yep. Yeah. If you're fishing one, one soft hackle with no weight, it's not going to sink. It's going to be right in that top inch or two of the water. And, and that works good uh, a lot of the time. But I would really recommend that you fish wet flies with some weight, either a beadhead pattern, but also I put split mm-hmm. shot on my mm-hmm. leader and get them down a couple of feet deep. Uh, an up and across cast so they start sinking a ways and then swing them. You're still swinging them, no indicator. It's all tight line Mm -hmm. uh, fishing, but get those flies to sink a little bit. One of the things with caddis that most people don't recognize is that these caddis pupa, when they first come out of their shelters uh, during a hatch, is they'll drift along the bottom of the stream sometimes for over a minute. (laughs) <laughs> before they actually start rising to the surface. Wow. So there's all these pupa that can be drifting close to the bottom that the fish are feeding on that you wouldn't really know because you're not going to see it. <laughs> uh, and so fishing pupa patterns with soft hackles or mm. um, you know other styles of p- pupa patterns, you want to fish sometimes get them down deep uh, and still swing them because they're going to be active. They're good swimmers. Um, uh, but so you don't need an indicator, but at least get them to sink, uh, and get them below the surface. And so one of the things I'd recommend is, yeah, make sure sometimes you're fishing those soft hackles and wet flies with a little weight to get them okay. down.
1: Deep. Yeah, that's, that's a great tip. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and when you're talking a little bit about, um, you know, turning the table and thinking about dry flies, you mentioned duns and spinners. Do you have a tip there for somebody that just generally wanted to trying to match the hatch there?
0: Spinner patterns for mayflies are highly overlooked by a lot of fly fishermen. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't fish the spinner stage very often, don't you ex- recognize when it's there.
1: Can you explain just the life history there of what's going on with with that process yeah. real quickly?
0: Yeah. so So the mayfly is really unique among all insects. They have two different wing stages. So when they first pop out of the nymph on the surface of the stream – or lake, that's called the dun stage, and the technical name is subimago, and that stage flies off the water, lands on the vegetation near shore. Usually within 24 hours, it molts one more time, and mayflies are the only insects that molt when they have wings into what's known as the spinner stage, uh, or the true imago, true adult, and uh, they can't mate. As a done, they have to molt into the spinner, which is the reproductive stage. Oh. <clears throat> that's the stage that then flies out over the water in swarms. As the males form these swarms, the female flies in, they mate in the air. Right after mating, the females start dropping to the water to lay their eggs. And that's what we call a spinner fall, because the female spinners are dropping to the water, dying on the water surface after they've laid all their eggs. And it's a great opportunity for fish to feed on them because these bugs are dead; they're not going to fly away. And there's often lots of them on the water. And they're really hard to see on the water if you're a yeah. fisherman because the wings in that stage fly flat, lie flat on the water surface. And it's often in the evening where the light's not very good, and man, they can be hard mm-hmm. to see on the water. Uh, the fish have no trouble seeing them, looking up against the sky uh, silhouetted against the sky. Uh, so if you ever see out there and you see some swarms of bugs in the air, you see a lot of swallows in the air yeah. and, and check it out. If there are spinners up in the air mating and then 15, 20 minutes later, you'll see spinners, you'll see fish rising. Oh, yeah. uh, that's the, they're feeding on the spinners huh. and you want to put on a spinner pattern. And most species of mayflies, even though they might be olive or gray or uh, yellow or whatever as a dun, most female spinners are a rusty brown color. Mm -hmm. And so carry a rusty spinner pattern in 20s to 12s, and you'll have a spinner pattern that'll match 90% of the spinners that you see on the water. Nice. Just match the size. So okay. carry rusty spinners in a range of sizes. And if you see spinners on the water, find out what size they are and match that size. And you can have a lot of fun. And And the spinner falls in the middle of the summer will happen in the morning and in the evening. Mm-hmm. So if it's really warm weather, you might see a spinner fall at 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it could be also right near dark at eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. In the fall and and in spring, those spinner falls are usually going to be late afternoon, right around three, four, or five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, so really, really keep an eye out for spinners. If they're on the water, really start looking and, and matching them. Uh, it, it's a whole uh, another opportunity to have some great dry fly fishing that a lot of people don't don't notice.
1: Yeah. And that's a super, that's a great tip for, and as far as the patterns, is there, is there a name of a pattern that comes to mind? As far? I, I
0: just use what's called a rusty spinner. Oh, I put yeah. a poly, poly wing, uh, is what I use, poly yarn yep. wing, white and rusty dubbing. You can use, you know, any number of different, uh, dubbing materials for dry fly. Uh, some type people tie beautiful ones with the, the, uh, um, bodies made out of quill, uh, but I just usually use uh, a rusty colored dubbing, uh, and two tails, you know, you can split the tails, yep. uh, very straightforward fly. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, easy to tie. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, yeah, Rick,
1: we're, uh, we're getting close to, uh, wrapping this thing up, but I had a, a couple more questions here for you. Um, Great. one of them was, I've talked a lot about, you know, kind of observing. I've had a lot of guests talk about, you know, whether it's steelhead fishing or trout fishing, just taking your time and and before you just jump into the river, uh, you know, take your time and see what's happening. Do you have, I mean, what does observation mean to you? Is that, does that, uh, do you think about that much? Or do you, you know, when you get into the stream?
0: Well, I think it's critical. Um, Yeah. Uh In fact, you know, what I always tell people, Most people don't get to fish as often as they like. So they get to the river. They want to fish. (laughs) So go ahead, rig up whatever you're going to use. Get out there. Spend a half an hour to an hour doing your thing. And, And then if you, at the end of that time, haven't been catching fish very well or none, set your rod down. Spend the next half an hour or more just observing, picking up a few rocks shaking some trees, just sit on the bank. I always tell people to take a little pair of travel binoculars so they can look at the water, see what the fish are actually feeding on, if there's any rises, uh, can help a lot. But spend that time just observing and sitting there, not fishing. And, And at the end of that time, you're gonna have some different thoughts about what flies to put on. Rig up with those flies, go out and fish the next hour, and I'll almost guarantee you, you're gonna have better success that second hour than the first hour after you spent that time, uh, just observing. Yeah. And anytime you're on the river, yeah. Slow down. It's not a contest, you know, and, and just, uh, enjoy your surroundings, but pay attention to everything that's going on out there. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about fly fishing is that it's such a direct connection to all of what's happening in nature or on that river that it's just a, it's a wonderful way to make that connection Mm-hmm. And it, and it helps your success at the same time. Yeah,
1: for sure. No, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, thinking about, uh, you know, turning the, uh, the, the corner here, uh, my, I had a question here I wanted to ask you, and it's about music. You, you oh, have, yeah. you have a, uh, I mean, you used to be in a band. Do you still have, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about your, your background there with your band.
0: Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, I still play in two bands here. Oh, in wow. Portland. Actually, two blues groups. Uh, one's called uh, Bridge City Blues Band. The other one's called Gary and No Tomorrow. Uh, we're up on Reverb Nation and oh, and gig, gig Masters. Uh, we play around. I played last weekend at the White Eagle in uh, Portland, uh, the McMinnemans Club there, and I'm playing another couple of weeks at um, actually July 18th. I'm playing at a at the Harley Davidson dealership. <laughs> Paradise Harley Davidson dealership in Beaverton. No kidding. Um, in the afternoon, uh, I play around usually a couple of times a month. Um, so uh, that's the other passion I have. Uh-huh. My, my whole life, I started playing drums when I was ten. Started playing out uh, in gigs when I was fourteen, and I've been playing drums my pretty much my whole life. Uh, so that's that's my other great love is is uh-huh. uh, playing the drums and and playing music. It's really funny because Skip Morris, yeah, he's a great jazz musician. Guitar yeah. plays guitar, and and he's done that professionally. Wow. Uh, and he's left-handed fly fisherman. Is a musician, and his wife's name is Carol. Yep, and I'm left-handed fly fishing musician, and my wife's name is Carol. That's right. <laughs> uh, so that's where the the similarities stop, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's, but it's really weird. But Skip's a great jazz guitarist. That's uh, cool.
1: That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I'm just trying to think of the episode. Yeah, actually, it was. Uh, it's going to come out. So the uh, episode uh, 36. will or no, it's the uh, uh, Skip. Yeah, thirty six. So the episode just before this, is, it will have uh, will be skip. Awesome. So I'll, yeah, I'll get i link out to that as well. And yeah, I'll try to find uh, if I can a little video or maybe a clip of your your band out there playing somewhere.
0: I do have some up. Yeah, there's, oh good. There's some, yeah, there's some out there. Uh, I don't know the link offhand, but yeah, yeah. there's some out there. We got a bunch of videos and things that All we're right. playing. Perfect. Yeah.
1: Do you yeah. have a? Um you know, thinking about your your bucket list, do you have a place out there that you want to, you know, you want to fish somewhere around the world? That, uh, uh, you haven't, New yeah. Zealand.
0: I, yeah. I haven't been to New Zealand. I've been to South America. I've had some fabulous trips down there. I haven't been to New Zealand, so mm-hmm. that's that's definitely on my bucket list, and uh, it may be coming up here soon. I hope.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think yeah. I have a guest coming up to chat about New Zealand here this summer, and yeah, it's amazing, right? The fishery over there is like world class. Um, the size of the fish are like off the hook and everything. Yeah. So
0: yeah. Cool. And, and just a beautiful environment that I'd love to see the environment down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I do, uh, uh, have an Instagram account. Uh, I've been putting up bug pictures oh, cool. and other stuff. So it's just Rick Hafley oh, nice. on Instagram. So if people want to check out some of the stuff I'm doing on Instagram with the photos, uh, I've been putting up uh, they can check that out. Perfect.
1: Perfect. Great. Well, I I guess my only other question is is uh you know, you throw in the band, uh, two bands, not just one. Um, you know, you had a, a 30 year whatever your career was and and uh you know, as a biologist and the the fishing and I, how how have you found the time to do all this? And what's your what's your <laughs> secret? <laughs>
0: uh well, if you do a lot of things, you, you you don't do any of them well. Maybe that's the secret. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh uh just do what you enjoy yeah I think that's that's the key you know when you enjoy stuff it doesn't feel like it's dragging you down and and it, it, you get energy from it so if you could find find that uh in your life you're a lucky person and i've been really lucky to do stuff i enjoy doing
1: yeah that's great
0: yeah awesome yeah. well
1: in the next uh six months or so do you have anything you want to you know talk about what you have going on as far as music bugs or fishing or anything
0: uh, well, I'm playing around Portland. I don't play elsewhere, but uh, my music's going to be around Portland. Uh, I will be in Southern California, um, uh, in the, 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 whatever, the second week of November or mm-hmm. first week of November doing the seven clubs down in Southern California. Huh. Um, and so I'll be on a, a speaking tour there. Uh, most of the time, I don't have much speaking going on in the summer because that's not a real time when people are around to listen. They're out fishing, right? Uh, so most of my workshops that I do, I've already done this year. So I had a number of workshops on the a couple on the deschutes and some others in other places. That but those usually happen in you know March, April, and that time frame. So I don't have any upcoming workshops, but I do have some a bunch of speaking uh, planned in Southern California coming up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hey. Uh, so other than that, just trying to get out doing some fishing on my own. Yeah. And on on those workshops now, what
1: are, just the basic, a quick little, you know, yeah. rundown. What what do you cover in the workshops typically?
0: So there there uh, the, the the workshops tend to be a one day one day deal. Uh, it's usually three hours in the morning indoors, uh, slideshow kind of presentation on how to recognize the major hatches uh, behavior, what fly patterns to, you know, match with the different hatches. And then the afternoons spent on the river, uh, wherever it might be. And, um, we go out and do collecting and then, uh, go over the different presentation techniques for drys, nymphs, and wet flies, talk about knots, whatever questions people have. And these workshops are limited to 12 people, hey. Uh, We usually get, you know, eight to 12 people signed up for them, Mm -hmm. and it's just a nice small group that gets out, and it's a lot of information that's uh, covered, a lot of time to ask questions. Uh, It's a lot of fun to be out there and actually get a chance on the river to see the bugs firsthand and talk about patterns. So uh, people usually come away with, you know, really uh, fun time and a lot of information from those. So. There on my website, I always have upcoming programs okay. and stuff so they can see when I'm going to be doing my next workshops on my website. Um, and and club fly fishing talks to clubs and oh, yeah. whatever are up there, too. And those, you know, evening talks are one hour or whatever the club wants. Gotcha. Uh, so, OK, uh,
1: yeah. All right. And so, yeah, if people want to find you. So just uh, Rick dot com is the best place.
0: Yep. That's the best place.
1: All right. Well, I'll, I'll direct everybody there. and We we talked about a bunch of stuff here. So I'll have everything in the show notes at um, wetflyswing.com slash 37. And uh, yeah, Rick, just wanted to thank you for coming on and chatting. This has been kind of cool because, you know, we've known each other, you know, ever since I was a, a kid, really I mean, yeah. back in those days. It's been pretty awesome to bring this like, you know, I don't know, we've had a connection throughout really through our lives. And then to finally sit down on a conversation like this and let everybody listen to it. I think it was pretty cool.
0: It's been great, Dave. It's, it's great to have known you <laughs> over the years and, and that you're still into it too. It's pretty cool.
1: I know. I know. My dad definitely got me going on it. And it's funny, I've tried a lot of different things, but I think you mentioned it. It's like that love, you know, you got to find that thing you're passionate about. And, you know, once you find it, um, it's kind of easy to to stick with it. So I think that's, that's maybe the secret to the whole thing. Like you said.
0: Yeah. It makes a huge difference if you're lucky enough to have that. So Good. Good job. Good yeah. Job.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you uh, later and, uh, and if I have any questions, I'll direct people your way and, uh, yeah, we'll just catch you, catch you later on.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for inviting me
1: on the show. Okay. See you, Rick. Yeah. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 37. And I want to remind you again to check out the new fly tying, uh, webinar series I have you can just head on over to wetflyswing.com slash webinar and add your name uh, to the email, and I'll give you an update when our next um, monthly session is live. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to see you online or on the river.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.